Come and join me here, buddy. Won't you pray for us? Can you pray for us? Sure. There's something happens when the redhead prays for us. Amen? <laughs> so, uh, won't you pray for our church today? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for, for our family and friends. And Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that all of us get to come here and worship your name. And amen. Amen. Thank you. Love, Bishop. Amen. John, thank you for, for having the students come up and sing. They did a great job. Let's, let's show them some appreciation because we had a lot of students up, up there singing. I grew up going to church. Uh, I, I went to Sunday school. And um, in fact, for eight years in a row, I was one of the wise men that took part at the Christmas concert every year. And uh, they wouldn't move me past any other part in the play, but I was a wise man. After all, my name is Solomon. Anyway, but I never knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior. At the age of 16, growing up in a very confused country, I looked in the Bible and I found that Jesus loved me just as I am. The news of the gospel of Jesus Christ really alarmed me. And I could not believe that I was not getting that affirmation of people from all around me. But that affirmation was found in God's Word. And at the age of 16, I decided to repent of my sins and follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jesus loved me then at the age of 16 because He was alive then. And Jesus still loves me today because he is still alive. And I'm here to remind you, if you are looking at anyone in your life to bring true love and true transformation in your life, today I invite you to look to Jesus Christ because Jesus is alive. I'm inviting you to turn to Mark chapter 1. And today we'll talk about Gospel purpose, gospel purpose. How can you and I be missionaries in our city? The gospel purpose, how you and I can be missionaries to our neighbors and the nations. And the gospel of Mark goes right to the action of how Jesus is moving. It doesn't take a lot of time to talk about genealogy like the way Matthew did, but Mark catches Jesus on the move. And in verse number 14, Mark records for us in chapter 1. Now, after Jesus was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. At the age of 16, I repented and I believed in the gospel. That is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Growing up in Africa, we love storytelling. And every time I have the opportunity to share my story, I always did. I shared it all over the world. I shared it all over the United States. Do you have a story like that? The day that you met Jesus and you moved from darkness into light, that he moved you from hatred into love. Do you have a story like that? That he moved you from death to life. And in this room today, there are two groups of people. 
A group of people who has a story like that and a group of people trying to figure out whether they truly believe in that story. I'm here to remind you, believe in Jesus Christ. He is alive, seated at the right hand of God the Father, seeking and pursuing a relationship with you this morning. And I'm glad you are here. And if you're watching online, we're so glad that you can join us. Mark catches Jesus on the move. And we're talking about evangelism, as Pastor Harland has mentioned. You and I are here gathered together as a body of believers with the express purpose to give God praise and take his name from our nations, from our neighbors, right to the nations. And I'm here to encourage us that we need to stop decaying and start being renewed with the gospel of Jesus Christ and be urgent about it. We need to be urgent about the good news of Jesus Christ. When I catch Jesus in verse number 14 of Mark chapter 1, Jesus is on the move. In the book called Evangelism, Michael Green writes, Evangelism, Jesus style. Evangelism, Jesus style. As I skimmed through the book of Mark, I looked at the patterns of Jesus, the rhythms of Jesus. I'll call it the rhythms of grace. And how Jesus went around. And do you know, Jesus was around his neighbors and the nations at the same time in that area. Before Jesus goes and share who he is and do wondrous works, there were oppositions. Well, the Greeks thought he was too ordinary, uneducated. Well, the Jews thought, can't be the Messiah, look like you, riding on a donkey. And the Romans said, oh, you the king, we'll kill you. How about that same opposition today? You feel like, well, I'm just an ordinary guy. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. And what about, well, if people look at me, I'm a Christ follower. Live a life from the perspective that you are loved by Jesus. And let me tell you, my friend, don't worry about politics. If your hope is on the ballot coming later this year, it should be in the hope of Jesus Christ. So we need to move the gospel needle forward. And as you look at the life of Jesus, the first thing we learn from this text, that his foundation was on truth. Wherever he went, Jesus spoke truth. Look at what verse number 22 records for us. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one at authority, not as the scribes. Jesus Christ came full of authority. He stood on truth. He did not speak of opinions. And I'm wondering, why do they, I like Jesus, have authority and the scribes do not? Well, the scribes told stories. They wanted to look religious, but they never did what they said. When they saw Jesus, Jesus did and lived what he preached. And the second thing you learn about Jesus, as I skim through the book of Mark, his proclamation was matched by his deeds. His proclamation was matched by his deeds. Look at what verse number 27 reminds us. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Do you know, as John has led us in song, he was the same God then, he is the same God now. And if you come to him and have that authority over the evil one, he will flee. 
So Jesus, don't you love Jesus? Unlike the other leaders, Jesus practiced what he preached. There's power in that. Not only he proclaimed, uh, his proclamation was matched by his deeds, his heart was moved with compassion. Wherever Jesus went, he was moved with compassion. You found Jesus in all the public places. Wherever you went, you'll find him. In the synagogue, he was there. On the hillside, he was there. On the, on the, on the beach of the lakes, on, on the sand of the lakes, he was there. He was lounging in people's homes. By the way, when he was in Matthew's house, a tax collector, he was not hiding when he was accused of being with sinners. He was reclining. He was chilling with sinners. If you want to be like Jesus... Do you have the patterns of Jesus? Mark chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, the feeding of 5,000, he told the disciples, you go and feed them. What would you and I do? We call a church meeting. Look at blind Bartimaeus. Mark chapter 10. Oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me because Jesus was present. Mark chapter 10, verse number 13 to 16, the little children, the deacons of that day, as you could say, close to Jesus, trying to help Jesus, the apostles, they said, hey, we're going to, don't be disturbing Jesus. You little children, don't be disturbing Jesus. And Jesus said, let the children come unto me. What do you and I see when we drive by every school on our campus, in our city? What do you see? Do you see needs? Or do you see it's a nuisance? Jesus was present. That is why we have school serve, collecting school supplies for the schools. I love the widow and her two coins. We measure a wealth which has two coins. But I promise you, if we measure a heart, we don't have a tape measure that big. I tell you all these things. We say we have the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus was compassionate and he was present. I told you this before and I'll tell you this again. You cannot love those you are not around. You cannot love those you are not around. And if you look around the weather patterns of this week and if Jesus had to tell you, you give them warm clothes, you feed them a hot bowl of soup, you help them, what would you say? So through the book of Mark, you see Jesus, the rhythms of Jesus. He was present, present, present because Jesus was with his people. I was with Deacon David in Connecticut this week. And when I was planting churches with the North American Mission Board, I'll have all the master's degree students from Southern Seminary and Southeastern Seminary coming to Norwich to get the practical work. And guess who was teaching them? Deacon David, once a drug dealer, now a child of God, he's teaching his master's students. And these are the words Deacon David told seminary students, and I quote, if you do not walk on the streets and sit on the pavements with broken people in your city, you don't have the right to stand on the pulpit on Sunday, unquote. You look at the life of Jesus, he was with the people. And if you want to live a life of urgency, reaching the neighbors and the nations, we've got to stop hiding. 
If we say we are, have the gospel, which is the hope of the world, we need to stop hiding in our pews. We need to go and tell, rather have a model of come and see. The lost person don't need to know about the comfortable pew. The lost person don't need to know about we have heat. The lost person don't. The lost person needs to know Jesus. And Jesus was all about being with his people. Not only was he compassionate, but he had a strategy. He had a team. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. He recruited ordinary men. He recruited fishermen. Jesus was no solo operator like an Old Testament prophet. He was a team. He built people. Yes, they fell. Peter always have a big mouth. You always have friends, but he was patient with them. He was persistent with them, and he taught them because he asked them, let's go now and take this news and change the world. He was sacrificial. He did not merely proclaim the good news. He lived it, and he died for it. And when we bless people the way Jesus blessed people, evangelism no longer will be a lost cause. We just don't like talking about them anymore. Do you know? Everyone needs to know someone. If you call someone, hey, can you hook me up with a contractor? If one person is introducing you to another person, just use that same model and introduce them to Jesus. We stop talking about who Jesus is. The Barna research tells us in a spiritually open series that people, more than 74% of people are open to spiritual conversations. In fact, people who don't believe in Jesus, and may you, you may be here and do not believe in Jesus, but you have reverence for the Bible. So when you go and talk to people, read the Bible from love, because love leads away from the Holy Scriptures. Don't be combative, be love. Some people in your workplace don't need your advice, they just need love. Barna also tells us that there is a give and take required for good faith conversation. That means be a better listener than a speaker. I think there's a verse there. Be quick to speak and uh, be, be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know what we want to do? We listen right here. Bang! All the scripture verses. You know, love somebody? A good conversation starts with being a good listener. Amen? Barna also says, <laughs> I love this one, actions speak louder than words. The missing ingredient in many approaches because we actually do not live our faith. So Jesus, all he said was repent and believe. Repent, turn to God and trust God. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors of this message, this ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. I'm here to remind you, Olive Baptist Church, there is one gospel that redeems an individual and restores a city. There's only one gospel, and the center of the gospel, his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Do you know, Jonathan Lehman wrote, the message is this, evangelism points you to God, not the church. Do you know that? Evangelism, you don't confess to the church, you confess to Christ that you're a sinner. Evangelism points you to God, not the church. But let me tell you, 
Evangelism, the church is an outcome of evangelism. The church is an outcome of evangelism. You want to plant a church? You go and you share the good news of Jesus Christ. You make disciples resulting in the church. So when people come to know who Jesus is, they join together as a body because we help one another. That's why we have connection groups. We come together, we multiply our joys and divide our pain so that we can live a life of effectiveness. Discovering all of sign up is outside. If you're looking to join a church, this is a good Sunday to do that. Great Sunday to do that. But let me tell you, when Jesus deals with you vertically, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Not that any one of us should boast. I didn't save myself. And you've asked the question, what is the meaning of saved? What's a church word saved? I could not help myself. And on that day, Jesus came to help me. I had to be put to death because of my sin. But Jesus Christ came to die in my place. And I'm here to give him praise. Vertically, when you meet Jesus Christ, then you live it horizontally. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When last did you brag about Jesus? When last did you talk about Jesus and what he has done for you? The reason we're reading Proverbs together is because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you care for those furthest from him. The more you spend time with your family around scripture, the more you care for those who are furthest from him. I'm hearing stories of families reading Proverbs on the way to church this morning. I'm reading, I'm hearing from families, children are asking questions. The more time you spend with God's word and be in his presence, the more you will love people the furthest from him. And God has called us. I've mentioned this before. It's worth mentioning again. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B. We have an urgent task. And I believe the early church the early church believed X18 more than the today's church. I think they believe more in the Holy Spirit than the church of today believes in the Holy Spirit. Acts, verse eight, uh, Acts chapter 8, the church is broken, it's gone. Let me ask you a question. What will happen to the American church if persecution came? Will they die or will they thrive? If persecution came... If your family members are being jailed and being persecuted, by the way, if you read the voice of the martyrs, the most amount of persecution happening with Christians all over the world, more than the day of Nero, is today. There are more people who follow Jesus being killed for the faith today than ever in history. How dare we limp our faith day by day, as if it does not bother us. Go 
That's why I believe. They, so there was much joy in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, verse 8. Why? Persecution was a strategy. And you look at the early church, Olive Baptist, persecution built the church. Prosperity hurt the church. They took the gospel message everywhere. And I'm reading this week, evangelism is church as a community. I'm reading this week, and I know there's a younger generation in this church. Allow me to go into where I'm going. Steve Graves writes about ambition. And as many people in this room, in this generation, in this room, hear my heart, we feel the church is not ambitious anymore. You feel your business or your enterprise or your product is more ambitious than a church. Steve Graves writes for us this. Let me tell you the mandate that Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is ambition. That is the greatest mandate ever given to man. Not your business. Not your career. Listen to Steve Graves, and I quote, God doesn't want to strip me of my ambition. The Apostle Paul experienced a radical transformation on the road to Damascus. But what we often miss is that so much of Paul did not change. Paul was aggressive, independent, get it done kind of guy before his transformation. And he was still that guy afterward. We changed. What changed was his heart and the target of his drive. God doesn't want me to flush my ambition. Instead, he wants me to redeem my ambition and harness it for the good and for his kingdom. He wants to strap it to the gospel of grace and let it drip like rich coffee brew daily in my life. What do you mean the church got no ambition? Self-serving ambitious, uh, self-serving ambitions leave me empty, stuck, and full of regret. Listen to this. Solomon's ambition led him to pursue more and more, but he did so with little rationale or purpose. He wanted more, just to have more, with little regard for utility and stewardship. By his own testimony, Ecclesiastes 2.10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Jim Collins writes, he captured his concern how the mighty fall he called it the undisciplined pursuit of more. This is what he says. If the target and purpose of our ambition aren't worthwhile, there can be no satisfaction to the end of the road, just never-ending desire for more. Aha. God-centered ambitions flourishing and productive are fulfilling. There is a flip side. Listen to this. Nothing is more satisfying, my friends than living out a God-centered ambition when internal ambition is filtered by a good motive, rooted in a useful outcome, and linked with the Lord's plan, it can be profoundly powerful reaching your neighbors and the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. Just look around the giftedness in this room. Look around. You have permission to move. Look around. 
the giftedness and resources in this room. Take a look and see how much as God has blessed us with the express purpose to love our neighbors and the nations. And I know the easiest thing is to do is to give an offering. But the church of Jesus Christ is absent where there's hurt, is absent where there's pain. The church is absent where there's brokenness. And I just want to put a thought in your mind. If Jesus Christ was in Pensacola today, where would he be? Most of us live a, a life that is so safe. And whenever you have something, you want something more. You have selfish ambitions. When the kingdom of God is starving. And asking, won't you bow down to me and be used for the glory of God from the neighbors right to the nations. Emmy is in church today, our daughter. I did not get to meet the birth mother, but I did meet the delivery nurse. And I thank God that delivery nurse was just not a nurse that day because she encouraged the mother to have life. You see, God has placed you in a place, not so that you can just earn a paycheck. He placed you there so you can give him glory. He placed you there where you live, where you work, and where you play, so that you can extol his name from the neighbors to the nations, that you can be used for his glory. He didn't give you a job just to, for you to pay your bills. He gave you a job to meet people so they can experience Jesus. Oh, my friends, how we miss the mark of living an urgent life for Jesus. I got a challenge for you, talking about neighbors and nations. This came in my mind. I thought it was a good time to share with you. If you are so interested in God's kingdom, why don't you open a bank account called Neighbors and Nations and use that money to take your family on mission trips? I challenge you. I have a bank account. Open a saving account called Neighbors and Nations and use that money to bless your neighbors, or else if you don't budget it, you will never afford it. How about that challenge? I was part of a discipleship group. We dug a well in Africa. I'm not telling you this to brag about it, but I'm just telling you guys, if you don't put it on paper, it'll never happen. Just this week, I got a meeting with an attorney downtown. I'm not in trouble. I got a meeting with an attorney, <laughs> then I'm going to court on Friday. I'm speaking at the naturalization ceremony. Do you know there's droves and droves of international people coming to America? They say spiritual renewal is going to come from immigrants. That's what they're projecting for a great awakening in America. Spiritual renewal is going to come through a process called immigration. Hello? because our backyards are more comfortable than our front yards. We gate it up in the back so we can have our own cookout and not be disturbed by our neighbors who don't know Jesus. We're putting a pool next summer apparently, why? So my children can swim and forget about why Jesus has blessed you anyway. Well, nothing wrong about the swimming pool, but this is a message to the church and I wanna to give to you very quite frankly, we fear of being dependent on God when we should be fearing to be dependent on ourselves. 
So evangelism connects you to God. The church is an outcome of evangelism. <laughs> but let me tell you, my friend, evangelism is a great commission. Look at this generation that Pastor Tim is leading. Just look at them. Last year, Jesus' revolution came out, and everyone is excited about the movie. But do you know this graduating, this retiring demographic is the most wealthy retiring demographic in America? At one time, they were hippies with long hair, torn jeans, ripped jeans, no shoes, and they were hippies. Today, they are bald head, wearing pinstripe suits with fancy shoes and complain about the next generation wearing jeans. <laughs> it's a joke, but it's true. We've got to let this next generation loose for the kingdom of God. Amen. Go on our church website. Go to Send Relief. Find ways where you can help people around the world. Go, look at ways. You can pick up a prayer calendar. Pray for your missionaries. But I'm hearing you tell you, my friends, you cannot make an excuse of not living for Jesus. Because loving, living for Jesus is hard. I wonder if Jesus ever thought one second, should I just give up on these people and drop this cross? Growing up in Virginia, Lottie Moon is a true person, and her siblings chose to rebel against Christianity. At the age of 18, she dedicated her life to Christ and was baptized as First Baptist at Charlottesville, Virginia, and she was in Sunday school. Lottie attended Albemarle Female Institute, a female counterpart of the University of Virginia, in 1861, she was one of the first women in the South to receive a master's degree. I bet you didn't know that. She stayed close to home during the Civil War, but eventually taught school in Kentucky, Georgia, and Virginia. Edmonia Moon, Lottie's sister, was appointed to Tengzhou, China in 1872. The following year, Lottie was appointed and joined her sister there. When she set sail for China, Lottie was 32 years old. She had turned down a marriage proposal, left her job, her home, and family to follow God's leadership in her life. Her path wasn't typical for an educated woman from a very wealthy southern family. God gripped her with her Chinese people's need for a gospel. She saw firsthand the world's greatest problem, and it was lostness. Lottie Moon was passionate about the people knowing Christ. She didn't hesitate to speak her mind. Lottie frequently sent letters home detailing Chinese culture, missionary life, and physical and spiritual needs of Chinese people. Additionally, she challenged Southern Baptists to go to China or give so that others can go. By 1888, Southern Baptist women had organized and helped collect $3,315 to send workers needed in China. For 39 years, Lottie labored, feared 
People feared and rejected her, but she refused to leave. The aroma of fresh baked cookies drew people to her house. She adopted traditional Chinese dress. She learned China's language and customs. Laurie didn't just serve the people of China. She identified with them, and many eventually accepted her, and some accepted her savior. Today, China is a world of rapid change. It's home to 1.4 billion individuals, one-fifth of the world's population. Village dwellers flocked to trendy megacities with exploding populations, and China holds its own world economy. It's very different from the vast farmland of Lori Moon entered in the 1800s, but one thing hasn't changed. China still needs a savior. So Lori Moon, Christmas offering, it's not a made-up name, it's a person that grew up in Sunday school, that went to be a missionary, so you and I can give now so that other missionaries can go. Let me tell you something, guys. Someone like Laurie Moon came and found me. Aren't you grateful that someone told you about the gospel? Why did it stop with you? Because you can't afford it, Jesus paid it all. Because you can't speak, he gives you power. Because you don't know anyone, look at the people he put you around. Because you don't have a church to support you, look around you. What's the excuse? What's the excuse? Evangelism is a work of the church. There are only two ways we can go through life. We can decay or we can be renewed. If you don't know Jesus Christ in this room, Jesus is real. How do you know that, Sean? He lived inside of me. And I'm standing here with fear and trembling. And I'm warning you, urging you, begging you, don't let Laurie Moon's story go in vain. Keep on going. Because somebody needs to hear the gospel around you.